Hi, and welcome to Lakeshore Update. I'm Dee Dodson. On this edition of the podcast, you'll hear the latest on the opening of warming centers in Lake and Border Counties. The 2022 Indiana General Assembly session kicked off earlier this week with a lot of the discussions around COVID-19. And Chris Nolte has a conversation with Valparaiso Police Chief Jeff Ballin, a Republican Party candidate for Porter County Sheriff. All of that and more on this edition of Lakeshore Update. Warming centers are opening in the city of Gary for residents who cannot keep warm when the temperatures fall below 32 degrees outdoors. Day locations for the warming centers are the Calumet Township Multipurpose Room at 1900 West 41st Avenue and Brothers Keepers 2021 Broadway. Both locations operate from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m. An overnight warming center will operate temporarily at Holy Angel School, 973 to 975 West 6th Avenue from 5 p.m. to 7 a.m. No one will be allowed in the center after 7 p.m. unless escorted by the police or fire department. Anyone needing transportation to a warming center can board any GPTC bus or van and provide the code 32 to be transported and provide the code 32 to be transported free of charge. Bus drivers and van drivers will try to get as close as possible to one of the warming centers for drop-off. In Valparaiso, warming centers are open in the city's YMCA on Cumberland Crossing, the Valparaiso branch of the Porter County Public Library on Jefferson Street, and housing opportunities on Calumet Avenue. The YMCA Warming Center is open Monday through Friday, 5 a.m. to 10 p.m., Saturdays, 7 a.m. to 6 p.m., and Sundays, 11 a.m. to 6 p.m. The Library Branch Warming Center is open Monday through Thursday, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m., Fridays, 9 a.m. to 6 p.m., Saturdays, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., and Sundays, 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. The Valparaiso Opportunities Warming Center is open Monday through Friday, 10 a.m. to 6 p.m., Saturdays and Sundays, 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. With the extremely cold temperatures expected in the coming days, community water utilities and companies like Indiana Water Company are urging residents that if you have had issues in the past with your water pipes freezing, please allow your water to slowly trickle from an indoor faucet. Residents with meters in closets or in garage areas, water utilities ask residents to please make sure the heat is on to those areas to prevent them from freezing. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. A Porter County Township is looking to add a social worker, is looking to add a social worker to its staff. Central Township Trustee Jesse Harper told the Times that many clients need help beyond what his office can provide. He believes someone with social worker training would be better able to determine 
the exact type of help needed and coordinates with nonprofit agencies and service providers. The township board agreed to fund the part-time position as part of the 2022 budget with some of the money coming from the Federal American Rescue Plan. Applicants can send a resume to jesse at centraltownshiptrustee.net. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The town of Griffith is now officially a part of North Township. The official change in townships from Calumet Township took effect last weekend. Town Council President Rick Rifa told the Times the town will see about a $3 million a year benefit in how local property taxes are spent. But Rifa said 16,000 residents will see little or no difference in their household property tax bills because they already receive as much relief as the state's tax cap laws permit. The money will move from supporting Calumet Township's financial assistance to the city of Gary's poorest to supporting Griffith Municipal, School, Library, and County Government services. Griffith's fight for secession started more than 14 years ago when 4,500 town residents signed a petition to the Indiana General Assembly to take the unusual step of letting Griffith switch townships. 97.2% of the town's voters, almost 3,300, voted in a 2016 referendum to leave Calumet Township. Only 70 residents voted to stay. Calumet Township Trustee Kimberly Robinson said her office has been preparing for this change for two years and the departure will not affect township services. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The race is on for District 1 U.S. Representative. Incumbent Democrat Frank Merman officially filed to seek re-election Wednesday. He says in a statement that he wants, quote, to continue to address the pandemic health crisis, make investments to grow the Northwest Indiana economy with good-paying jobs, and bridge the division gripping our nation, end quote. He specifically noted his efforts to push for steel tariffs and buy American requirements, along with his votes for the American Rescue Plan and Infrastructure Law. Meanwhile, Republican challenger Jennifer Ruth Green released her first campaign video on Wednesday. In it, she expresses concern with what she called out-of-control inflation as well as government overreach. Green also touts her military experience and promises to fight for, quote, strong American families, a strong American economy, and strong national security, end quote. Candidate filing for the May primary continues until February 4th. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Two more Democrats have joined the race for Indiana Senate District 4. The Times reports Porter County businessman Todd Connor and Michigan City School Board member Deb Chug plan to run in the May primary. 
They'll face former Michigan City Mayor Ron Meir and incumbent Senator Rodney Pohl Jr. Pohl is currently filling the remainder of longtime Senator Karen Tellian's term following her retirement. The only Republican to enter the race so far, according to campaign finance records, is Johannes Victor Alfred Pollard of Michiana Shores. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The COVID-19 surge is creating challenges for the city of Portage. Fire Chief Randy Wilkening told the city council on Tuesday that his department responded to more than 400 medical calls last month and January is already proving to be busy. The COVID is is really starting to get to us. Uh, To start the year, the first two days we had over 60 calls. And actually finding patients a space at the hospital is often taking longer. The ambulances are taking patients to the hospital and the hospital really doesn't have anywhere to put them. So they're kind of delayed until they can find somewhere to put the patients. So that plus the decontamination and everything is making our turnaround even slower. He noted that the Portage Fire Department's calls have gone up significantly in the past two years, but staffing has remained the same, and Portage is dealing with its own COVID challenges. Two firefighters and 10 police officers were out with COVID as of Tuesday's council meeting. Council members agreed to update the city's COVID policies to give employees paid leave for vaccine side effects, redefine fully vaccinated to include booster shots, and bring quarantine guidelines in line with the latest CDC recommendations. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The South Shore Line is warning passengers that the COVID surge could impact train schedules. The commuter rail operator says it will continue to run trains on their regular schedule for now, but it's ready to make temporary adjustments if there are, quote, operational constraints. Any changes will be shared on MySouthShoreLine.com along with the railroad's Facebook, Twitter, mobile app, and email list. The spread of the Omicron variant has been affecting transit agencies across the country, and the South Shore Line says it's, quote, actively monitoring the situation, end quote. Passengers are still required to wear masks until at least March 18th under federal orders. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. The Indiana Department of Health will limit rapid COVID-19 testing at state sites to Hoosiers 18 and younger and symptomatic Hoosiers 50 and older. The state announced the change Tuesday as it deals with a nationwide shortage of rapid tests, but other testing is still available. IDOH says limitations are designed to help keep students in school and identify at-risk Hoosiers for antibody treatments within the prescribed window. Indiana is only guaranteed 11,000 rapid tests per week, but uses about 50,000. 
During a news conference last week, State Health Commissioner Dr. Chris Box said the state still has tests available. Due to the national shortage of Bionex Now tests, you may need to get a PCR test. This does take a little longer to process, but it is most ac- the most accurate test available. Box says the state's laboratories are able to get PCR test results within 24 to 48 hours. She also warns Hoosiers getting tested should be prepared to wait with or without a testing appointment. There is high demand following holiday gatherings. And as an additional note to this story, Dr. Chris Box announced Wednesday morning that she has COVID-19 again. Dr. Box is more than 113,000 Hoosiers to be reinfected with COVID-19 since January 18th, 2021. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. For some kids in Indiana, lead poisoning is a fact of life. Network Indiana's Chris Davis reports on what might help kids especially in cities like East Chicago. Some of them live on Superfund sites where huge factories ended up putting dangerous chemicals and metals into the ground before projects were built on top. In this year's legislative session, Governor Eric Holcomb wants lawmakers to do more to help. We want to require those health providers to offer blood lead screening Uh, for individuals who are 9 to 72 months old. The hope is that doctors can find problems associated with lead poisoning early. Chris Davis, Network Indiana. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Indiana House Democrats want the legislature to spend some of the state's $4 billion surplus this year to help support struggling Hoosiers. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Brandon Smith reports on Minority Leader Phil Gianquinta's speech to the House on opening day of the 2022 session. Republican leaders are resistant to spending any new money this year, noting that 2022 is a non-budget session. But Giaquina says Hoosiers deserve to have the state invest in them, whether by helping them with medical debt, child care costs, or student loans. Just scraping by when you're working two or three jobs is a kind of economic imprisonment. It tramples the spirit of hardworking Hoosiers. With a tax cut debate at the center of the 2022 session, Giaquina says that discussion should include creating a child tax credit, and his caucus is pushing for paid leave legislation. No Hoosier should have to choose between caring for a loved one and a paycheck. Paid leave isn't a perk. Paid leave is a necessary and fair policy for creating stable and secure economies and households. This year's session is set to end in March. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Brandon Smith at the State House. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. A bill to effectively ban private companies from enforcing COVID-19 vaccine mandates cleared its first hurdle at the State House Thursday. The measure, House Republicans' top priority this session, passed a House committee. The panel first made a few changes. The bill allows businesses to require weekly COVID testing for employees who refuse to get the vaccine. And it says those businesses can't charge employees for the tests. 
Now, bill author Representative Matt Lehman says companies can get reimbursed by the state. That you can apply to DWD and uh, for reimbursement paid out of any state or federal funds that go towards COVID. While that was an objection by some businesses, every major health care and business organization in the state still opposes the overall bill. Lehman says his measure is trying to walk a fine line. That place between an employer's right to do what employers have a right to do as private enterprise at the same time not interfering with the, with the firmly held beliefs or the medical uh, conditions of their employees. There's also an entirely separate part of the bill that aims to help Governor Eric Holcomb end the public health emergency. Holcomb requested a few changes to state law that will ensure Indiana can continue running COVID clinics and won't lose millions in federal funding tied to the pandemic. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. A proposed tax cut package introduced by Indiana House Republicans this week would cost the state more than a billion dollars a year in revenue within the next three years. The largest chunk would be from roughly a 7% cut in the state's individual income tax. That reduction, which would happen gradually over the next few years, would eventually lower state revenues by more than half a billion dollars a year. There are also two different tax cuts for businesses on their business equipment and an elimination of certain utility taxes. The House GOP's tax cut push comes amid record budget surpluses. But both Senate Republicans and the governor have expressed caution about such large cuts this year. They're worried about future budget needs and the sustainability of the current large state revenue amounts. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. A new organization of business leaders has formed to advocate for the legalization of adult use of cannabis in Indiana. Indiana Public Broadcasting's Samantha Horton reports, Indiana Can argues that the potential tax revenue could bring $171 million into the state if it were to adopt Colorado's tax policy. The nonprofit organization says the cannabis industry could help small communities in the state by providing a recession-proof industry. Organizers say every $1 of legal cannabis sold spurs an additional $2.5 in economic activity. Adam Gillette is a hemp grower and a board member of Indiana Can. He says he wishes Republican lawmakers that oppose legalization would spend time learning about cannabis and the industry. And um, not thinking of this as gangsters and thugs, but really looking at how do we use our best resources in the state. We've got the right soil, we've got the right farmers, we've got perfect conditions. Indiana Senator J.D. Ford and Representative Jim Lucas both say they plan to propose legislation this session that would legalize cannabis for medical purposes. For Indiana Public Broadcasting, I'm Samantha Horton. You're listening to Lakeshore Update with Dee Dotson. Valparaiso Police Chief Jeff Ballin is a Republican Party candidate 
for Porter County Sheriff. Ballin recently came on Regionally Speaking to talk about himself, his law enforcement experience, and what he wants to do for the residents of Porter County as sheriff. Well, it was my 30-year anniversary as a uh, sworn police officer. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've been around for quite a while now, and we've been able to see a lot of positive changes in our community over the last several uh, years. I'm excited about the opportunity to run for the Porter County Sheriff's position. And, uh, you know, after 30 years of public safety, I've been around, uh, like I said, for a while. Uh, I started out my career in 1992 uh, as a uh, officer. I spent over a decade patrolling the streets, responding to calls. A lot of those years I was a supervisor. I spent over a decade in investigations. Uh, during that time, investigated a lot of uh, crimes throughout the county. Took, that's one thing about investigations. It kind of takes you wherever, wherever the crime leads. Mm -hmm. And I was able to work with uh, all the police agencies in Porter County, uh, including a lot of other governmental entities. For several years, I was, or after the last few years, I'd been in police administration, first as a captain of investigations, and since 2017, the chief of police. Was there anything that you noted in your career, up to this point at least, as uh, with the uh, Valparaiso Police Department, that uh, that you feel uh, uniquely qualified to, to take it on to the next level, I guess, to, to, to go countywide if you're elected? Well, I feel like there's a lot of uh, different experiences that I've had throughout my career uh, as a law enforcement officer. Uh, like I said, as the patrol captain, or I'm sorry, as the uh, investigations mm -hmm. captain as uh, patrol. And I think my experience with budgets, with leadership as far as, uh, you know, how to run a police agency, also my connections with the community, the relationships I have been able to build, and I think that that uh, is, uh, uh, makes me uniquely qualified for the position. Do you think that uh, the, as a position of public safety executive, in this case, if you're elected sheriff, that uh, you'll, uh, it certainly seems that you'll put not only your, your background as, as a police officer as well as an administrator to good work, I guess, uh, knowing that you'll have to take care of a, of a staff and, and probably a, the administration of a jail? That is for sure. You know, I think a lot of it depends um, when it comes to police administration is being able to be open-minded to how things change throughout the needs of the community. I feel that you have to rely on the uh, expertise of the people that are part of your administration and your team. I also think that you have to take into account what the community needs. And so I believe that you have to have good lines of communication with all of those uh, avenues to really have an effective uh, law enforcement entity in itself. I think it's very important to be connected to the community. I think it's very important that we have, you know, good prevention programs in place. I think we have to have partnerships with not only our law enforcement agencies, but also with our prosecutor. I think we have to have good partnerships with our mental health providers, our substance, substance dependency counselors, our schools, businesses. And I think we have to have effective policing. So I feel that all of those come into play to really make sure that our county uh, is a safe place now and for the next generation of our uh, Porter County citizens. 
If you will, fill us in on your thoughts about some of the uh, the problems that uh, Porter County faces these days and has for some time, of course, the problem of, uh, of drug abuse, of uh, drug overdoses and unfortunate deaths that have come about. What would you like to see uh, the Sheriff's Department do if you're elected as sheriff to be able to, to kind of bolster the efforts uh, not only uh, on the uh, the law enforcement side, but on some of the, uh, the prevention and uh, hopefully uh, abolition of the problems? Well, certainly. I think, uh, to begin with, you know, our drug issues that are going on, there's not just one approach to solving this problem. I think uh, we have to definitely recognize that, you know, we, with the prevention, we have to really step up that. And I think that's a partnership between parents, between our schools. I think that's where the police officers build relationships. And we really talk with the kids in our community about drugs, alcohol, tobacco, you know, those type of things. I think that that's important that once uh, someone, so we want to, we definitely want to try to get to the prevention to keep the kids from even beginning uh, or trying drugs to begin with. However, we have to also look at once someone does use drugs and then we have to rely on our family members and the, of the, of the, of the users to say, okay, you know, to recognize that there's a problem. And then I think it's important that we continue to have those, those conversations with the family members, with the uh, individuals that are using, to, to try to figure out why they're using, if there's, you know, mental uh, issues that need to come, or to come into play, um, what type of socioeconomic issues do we, are we dealing with as well. I think it's important that we, we acknowledge all of that, and I think we have to get our uh, mental health providers involved. And I think that that's a big step in dealing with these issues as well, because sometimes usage is because of mental health issues. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the usage creates mental health issues. And I really don't think that we're going to have a one-step approach to dealing with all of this. So I think we have to take each case on a, on a case-by-case basis to really address the issues at hand. Do you think that uh, that Porter County is uh, is safe to speak of as far as the problem of of not only drug trafficking but also human trafficking? And I suppose I bring the subject up because a good stretch of an internet highway runs through Porter County. Well, I would say that it's very important that we train our officers throughout the county to recognize the signs of because you are right. We do have interstates going through our county, and that is a big place. Where that where that takes where the transportation aspect comes in, uh, so uh, trafficking. So I do believe that we have to definitely continue to have our officers trained on the most up to date and current uh, techniques on identifying those issues, and then we have to also work with our our federal partners when it comes to that type of crime investigation. For 30 years, um, I've been connected uh, within our uh, communities. I think it's important to look back at the programs that I've been able to put into place um, and that have been very effective to reduce crime and to uh, increase transparency and trust, and that makes our community safer as a whole. That was Valparaiso Police Chief Jeff Ballin, who will be on the May 22 Republican Party primary election ballot as a candidate for county sheriff. Regionally Speaking with host Chris Nolte is on air at 11 a.m. Mondays through Thursdays on Lakeshore Public Radio on 89.1 FM and streaming live 
online at lakeshorepublicradio.org, where you can also find program podcasts as well. For the latest in local news and information, tune in Monday at 6 a.m. for Morning Edition with local host Chris Nolte. Lakeshore Update is supported by the listeners and members of Lakeshore Public Radio, 89.1 FM. Podcasts for Lakeshore Update are posted each Friday on our website, lakeshorepublicradio.org, as well as on NPR One. Make sure you search for WLPR and select us as your home station. Music for Lakeshore Update was written and produced by by bensound.com. For Lakeshore Update, I'm D. Dotson.